right, welcome back to the Movie Babble podcast. Um, this week we have a lot of controversy um, and just a lot of movies. We we have a lot of things, so it'll it'll be a lot of uh, so many good things. conversation. <laughs> so uh, first off, how are you guys doing this weekend? Hello, gentlemen. We have so much content. This is kind of weird. There is really like a lot to get into here, and it's a lot of stuff I'm interested in as well. That's a first. I feel like. <laughs> Yeah, no, we got uh, we got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Uh, I'm doing great though. Just saw Pig, best movie of the year, so I'm feeling fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we get into just you know straight movies, uh, let's talk about the, kind of the big ticket item. Uh, so this is if you've been on Twitter, this is all film Twitter has really been talking about uh, most of this week, which is Scarlett Johansson suing Disney over uh, missed profits from Black Widow's streaming release. Um, so just a little bit of uh, context for this with most big budget movies or any kind of tentpole, the principal actors and directors are going to get box office points. So however much money the, bo- the movie makes at the box office, they'll get a certain percentage of that. Um, if you're in a Marvel movie, that's normally pretty big, um, really, really helps you uh, pad those pockets quite a bit. And the issue is these contracts were in place before the whole Disney Plus. Uh, launch on the same day model existed and so it doesn't really account for streaming so disney is pocketing all of that 30 dollars. right there's nothing you're giving to the venue um you're not sharing any of that with the actor because oh it's a it's a streaming rental it's not a a ticket at the box office um so scarlett johansson is suing over missed profits in black widow um because a lot of it and we've seen this with most of the streaming releases they're very front heavy at the box office um and then there is huge money being made on the the premium access side of things uh, we saw this with wonder woman uh on the other side where uh, patty jenkins and gal gadot were were paid a larger deal up front because it was switching to the streaming model um but then this kind of started a wave so there were uh, conversations about emma stone um looking at opening up a similar lawsuit just over uh the, the same deal with cruella um, and even I saw some discussion about, you know, will Emily Blunt or The Rock, uh, because, you know, they would also be in kind of the perfect position. Um, so it's I think it's the start of something. I don't think this is going to be a, a one week news story. We also saw Gerard Butler uh, jump in there and uh, talk about suing for the first Olympus movie. Did he really? That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. Good uh, for him. Said, yeah, he said he lost out on 10 million or something like that. That's incredible. Well, I hope he does well as well. But yeah, this is it is one of these things where I think some of the backlash to this was, okay, Scarlett Johansson, you still made, what, over $20 million for this. So what are you complaining about? And that's not really the point here. Because when you look at it, if Disney can kind of screw over the biggest stars we have, and Scarlett Johansson and even Emma Stone, The Rock and Emily Blunt, then what are they doing to, like... Susie Q character actor, you know, like it's, it, there is kind of a cascading effect to all of this, uh, for actors. And I feel like every time we come on here and Disney plus says, Hey, this movie did this well on streaming. We've all, we've all been like, okay, I guess we have no way to back this up. We don't really know where you're getting these numbers from or how real they are. So I guess we'll take your word for it. So I think this is, like you said, Colin, this is this really is the first step in kind of 
figuring out the lay of the land here and how to rewrite contracts and how to figure out all this streaming stuff because I feel like we're very much still in the first stages of figuring out how to basically work within this new system. So it's I think this is this will be a very long like long like ongoing process for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um 100% though this is something that I think there's a lot of layers to. Uh firstly, it's it's pretty privileged debating over millions of dollars, but we do have to also talk about how you're right as as what you said, Nick. If they can screw over someone like ScarJo, what are they doing to the people at the bottom, right? Technically, you know, um, and it's 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 an it's an issue. So I mean, if she has the uh, capabilities and the strength and the money to go after Disney in a lawsuit, I mean, all the power to her because there aren't many people that can say they can do that. Um, and I mean, we've always looked at Disney as kind of the big villain, right? They're kind of the arch nemesis of they're like that dark creature, you know. The mouse has yeah. like this scary connotation sometimes with just the power that Disney has. They got the gauntlet, right? In the in recent years, especially. So, it is something that I think is worth fighting for, just to kind of keep them in check. And what it also proves is, I mean, yeah, the box office uh, money still coming in for some of these movies, but Disney just kind of looked at Disney Plus and and said, you know, this is a way for us to make some extra cash here, and hopefully. Let's not have people bat in the eyes, right? It's money right to the uh, big wigs at Disney. That's pretty much all Disney Plus is. That's kind of what this exposes. Um, so it's, it is it is certainly an issue. And I wonder if they never released uh, Black Widow figures two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whatever it was, if maybe this would never have happened. Maybe, uh, maybe th- she never would have known the profits that are made on there because it seems like it's something that's now kind of opening up. Um, and also Black Widow, about a third, maybe nearly 40% of its profits are from Disney plus, I think around 35%. So it's a good chunk. And if all that money is just going straight to Disney, no money to the theaters and to keep tens of thousands of jobs alive, no money to ScarJo, other people involved in the project. I mean, it's, it's certainly an interesting, uh, conversation here. And I think, uh, I think you guys are right when you say it's not, uh, one and done. Yeah, and it's indicative of a lot of battles that have just been going on in Hollywood for a lot of these below-the-line people. Um, and, and really for everybody who is not like a ScarJo or that kind of top-level uh, person in a movie, uh, which is the fact that on the business side of things, uh, the entertainment industry is always really late to adapting to new technologies. I mean, we're still relying on the Nielsen ratings to like determine the success of TV shows, and nobody watches TV live anymore. Right. Like <laughs> a lot of the models for these things are really flawed um, and none of the uh, the the contracts or just the business models um, for the way that uh, t- talent is hired out um, is really evolved to include streaming or really compensates for streaming because um, part of it is they just don't know how to look at it. Right. Is this a rental like you would go to Blockbuster? Is this like you're owning something? Is this, you know, a different category of its own? Um, so I, I think this will be a good push to really force a lot of these companies and agencies to clarify a lot of the language and really clear up like what is streaming, how is it compensated, who owns the rights to things, um, you know, h- how are we making sure that everyone has their fair share of equity in this, um, like you typically would in the in the blockbuster, you know, theatrical release model. 
Yeah, and it's it's the, one of the most damning pieces of this was Kevin Feige coming out and saying, yeah, Disney really fucked up, basically. Uh, not as vulgar as that, obviously, but he was just like, they messed up really bad, which is kind of incredible because you figure... I mean, I don't, I don't have the org, the org chart in front of me, but Feige is really just talking to, like, Chapek and, like, everybody else, like, the big executives at Disney, because Marvel is their cash cow at the moment. So, but especially for, like, the Disney side of this lawsuit, that's not a good... That's that's not, that's not good for them as they try to build their case, which doesn't really seem like it has a lot of merit. And them also blaming ScarJo for not thinking of COVID-19 when she was... Yeah doing this lawsuit it was just all this is just is wrong for disney <laughs> they're doing all the wrong things and none of it is good both just from an ethical standpoint or even like from the law so i my guess is that we will see scarjo eventually win this probably is my guess i mean who's to say we don't know what twists and turns this will happen but it is really weird because you mentioned before how we're all figuring out what these contracts are going to be like and i'm fascinated to see if with when things are on streaming and these stars come to Disney or your Netflix and say, we'll take such and such money for every like stream of the movie. If they figure out that's the new way to do some kind of back end deal. Cause when, cause Netflix has been for years now, they've just said, here's a shit ton of money up front and we just get to have this for this movie for forever. And you don't get anything else from it, but people are getting probably double or triple their usual rate. So they say, okay, that's fine. Um, but I'm curious now to see what people like these really big stars can do with some of their contracts and how they can really change the tides. Cause I feel we, none of, none of the data we ever read on from these streaming services seems correct or reasonable. Like there was the one thing where Spencer confidential was watched by a hundred million people in two weeks or something like that. It's just this <laughs> terrible Mark Wahlberg movie. Like, what is like, what does any of this mean? So, I hope this is kind of the first step into kind of figuring out. Like, you kind of have to not lie or be selective about how you, like, about how you distribute your news. Because even with Disney, where they never released the 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 Disney Plus data for Cruella, uh, they really haven't made any big like announcements for Black Widow's uh, Disney Plus costs except for the first week. And I assume Jumbo Cruise will kind of be the same way. So they're really just making it this big stock price play where they're boosting the opening weekend. Because that's all investors really care about anyway at this point. They're not looking at the week-to-week legs of movies. So they can say, oh, the, we, we can put these two numbers together. Therefore, Disney is more profitable. Therefore, stock prices go up. Therefore, CEO is doing great. And all the executives get way more money. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, we've known for a while that all these streaming services are just doing very, like, probably shady stuff, who's to say, right? But it's not, it, it doesn't seem right, and I hope this is a step in the right direction for that. Yeah, the point you made about Feige, that is, like, I did not expect that, waking up and seeing him coming out to bat for her. I did not see that coming. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably the worst part for Disney. And yeah, them bringing up COVID-19. Uh, didn't they, uh, like, I, I think a lot of people were bringing up, didn't they open their parks last summer? Like, I don't think yeah. it's a good, <laughs> it's not a good, uh, it's not a good cover. You know, it's just not, especially when, uh, you know, Black Widow's not the first movie to come back in theaters. Like, it's not like Black Widow kicked things off here. 
Uh, so yeah. yeah, it's 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 tough, and it, it's, and even when I think about it, it's it's not like Scargo Scarjo is saying theaters only. She's probably just saying, you know, why didn't we renegotiate the Disney Plus deal? Like, why didn't you come to me and say, let's renegotiate things before we uh, release this film? That's that's kind of what I saw it as. Like, not like a Puritan theaters only, right? Um, yeah, you know. So it's it's an interesting thing, and I'm I'm excited to see how it goes. In the end, it's it's millionaire against billionaire here, but uh, it is definitely a good precedent that needs to be fought for. Yeah, and I I think it's. A, a watershed moment for the industry. Um, so, you know, yeah, Scarlett Johansson still got paid 20 million, um, but she was also supposed to get paid a lot more. Um, and 20 million, when you're talking leading Marvel money, is pretty, pretty small. When you look at like Robert Downey Jr. getting 50 million for three days on Spider-Man. <laughs> um, but I, I think it'll have a lot of ripple effects to the bottom line and to the people that have been affected by the pandemic most. Um, two people that just aren't getting compensated for streaming uh, because the residual system doesn't really work for streaming. Um, and that's how a lot of people uh, continue to put, you know, food on the table years after their biggest hits have, have already kind of washed up. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch this play out, especially as we see other actors come forward and, and make things official. Cause right now um, ScarJo's alone legally, um, uh, you know, Emma Stone was speculation, and I would imagine that it'll probably move forward. Um, but I, th- I do think we need a little bit more power because um, the the more people you can get behind it, I think the harder it is for Disney to um, kind of hush it or you know walk away easily from it. Yeah, and the the reports were saying that ScarJo could have potentially lost up to fifty million in yeah. this move, which is crazy. I mean. I mean if I'm in her shoes, I'm fighting for the extra 50 million, you know? Um, so I totally get it from her perspective, but yeah, it is weird. Cause no one has really kind of backed her up very much. And even, um, like the people who they speculated will soon next have all been most, it's mostly just been women. So there's like a weird, like a little sexist angle to it as yeah. well that I'm not quite sure that, um, Disney wants to <laughs> deal with either. Um, but yeah, it's it's very very odd. I feel like I wouldn't be surprised by the time that this uh, pod goes up, some other news item attached to this pops up because I feel like this is very, it kind of it kind of took people back. Very like they were very surprised by it, and I think a lot of people are scrambling to figure out uh, what their next move is. Either throw it on the D- Disney side, or if they want to jump in with ScarJo and kind of mount their case as well, or whatever party they may be. I think. A lot of people were very, very surprised by this, and I think I was too. I just you, yeah. you scroll on Twitter, and it says, "Whoa, that's, that's a really big deal." So, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how the Jungle Cruise reacts, and we'll, I don't know. It's, it's gonna be it's gonna be very weird. So uh, let's uh, let's let's can the Disney talk for now and talk about Disney. Uh, that's cool with you guys. Um, so Jungle Cruise uh, also opened this week. Um, to a pretty solid 34.2 million um, just in box office returns, and then reportedly another 30 million um, through Disney Plus. So this Worldwide. is one of the strongest. Um, yeah, this is one of the strongest pandemic openings we've seen, uh, which further backs my thesis from last week. You can't stop the Rock. Uh, he's just gonna. <laughs> he's just gonna sell movies. That's what he does, and it's working. <laughs> 
Yeah. I love how um, every single time one of his movies comes out, and he's the he's the big proponent of it's all about the fans, you know. <laughs> so his movies get very adequate or like below average Rotten Tomato scores, and he's like, "Great, fans loved it. <laughs> fans the fans loved Baywatch. It wasn't for the See, critics." <laughs> the thing is, you don't cast The Rock as your protagonist. You cast your protagonist as The Rock. Like people are there for him. And as long as he delivers, which he does most of the time, I feel like, yeah, everyone's like, I like The Rock in it, so I'd watch it again. But does he? Because I was, I was having a conversation with one of my friends this week where we were talking about, does, does the, like, what was, how many good rock movies are there? Because uh, there's probably Fast Five, right? It's Fast probably Five. The best, it's probably I would the best say Fast and Furious movie. Fast I like Five, Six, Seven as well, for, for sure. Power. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, just it's really interesting to see how a lot of his movies are just very average. I guess the Jumanji movies are fun for what they are, but like we have Skyscraper or Rampage <laughs> or even like Hobbs and Shaw. Just these Moana. Um, yeah, well, I feel like Moana is different because <laughs> that's voice work. But um, you have uh, like Central Intelligence, like very just. Very average. The mummy. The below, the below average movies. Yeah, don't yeah. diss the Mummy Returns. <laughs> that's fair. That's that's an amazing movie <laughs> for what it is. So it is very interesting how the love affair with The Rock. He's he's really good at marketing himself, I guess. I mean, you see on Instagram, he's posting ten things a day about his tequila, <laughs> his movies, and everyone he's, loves it. So I don't know. He's kind of the only like tentpole action star, right? Like in the nineties. You'd go see, like, a Harrison Ford movie or, you know, an Arnold movie or whatever. But you don't, like, there aren't other actors that you're like, mm. yes, The I Rock alone. Like Tom Cruise so is on. I, th I think he might be there, too. Yeah, I think I so. Know. I don't know. He's not quite on the level of The Rock, Tom Cruise. I mean, not right now. He was. But he's he's still up there. I think, like, even some of his, uh, even some of Cruise's lesser uh, titles, they still uh, bring in a decent penny. Yeah, I'll, I'll see that, but you, you can't ignore the mummy. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the terrible CGI at the end of that. Just amazing stuff. So great. <laughs> um, so let's actually get into Jungle Cruise itself. Uh, Do we so have to? I'll, I'll avoid spoilers. Uh, so Brennan, you have not seen this, right? But Nick, you have? Correct. Correct. Yeah, so um, I was actually pretty hyped for this movie. Um, cause I, I do like watching the rock punch things. Um, and then like watch this like 300 pound man who's a brick be like, yeah, I, uh, I have this normal day job. Like, yeah, sure you do, buddy. Um, it is amazing when, cause they always have to make an amazing, amazingly elaborate excuse for why the rock is so huge in all of his movies. Like he's always ex military or something like that. It's just, it's so funny. Um, but then you know, so it, it gets there. It's like weekend. I've just seen the green night. So I was like, man, today is on such a high already. Let's go do jungle cruise. And I wanted so badly to like this movie. And I think there are like, there are flashes of interesting things happening. I'm like, I really like the vibe that it starts off with. It really reminds me of the first, the mum or the, like not the first, the first Brendan Fraser, the mummy, uh, where it just starts off with, uh, Rachel wise and her brother, like, around in the egyptian museum um and so it's like okay I, I like the vibe like 
it's just riffing exactly off of that and i dig that and then it just like keeps going downhill um i think there are the occasional flashes where they do something interesting um like i think the conquistador villain actually gets a pretty interesting backstory that they then do absolutely nothing with um but yeah i just there's nothing to ever take this movie away from being just okay in my opinion yeah shout out to edgar ramirez just he's just always there in a lot of movies that are okay but I like him as an actor. But every time he's in a prominent role of note, the movie is just very, very bad. I'll take you back to last year's uh, The Last Days of American Crime, which is one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and he's the lead in that movie. So it's a struggle for him. But uh, yeah, this this is definitely Disney trying to figure out how can we further the, the Disney IP and make our next franchise, right? Because the last uh, parts of the Caribbean movie was weirdly one of the most expensive movies ever made uh, to this day it didn't do great like it made a decent amount of money but the budget was so inflated by that point where it just wasn't worth it to continue and no one really liked it uh so they're trying to f- capture that same like jaunty like fun throwback spirit of like the all these like serial movies and there's obviously a ton of indiana jones and also pirates and the mummy and literally any adventure movie in this they're going for that same thing um and yeah i thought this movie was okay it's it it's fine <laughs> you know it's directed by uh jean colette sarah who is the king of making movies that sound like terrible ideas in theory and making them okay <laughs> you know like his you look at his imdb and it's just full of movies that are like a two or two and a half out of four stars they're just decently entertaining you can put them on in the background and they're probably a little better than they deserve to be but they're still not great you know like you have he made that orphan movie you have the unknown where liam neeson doesn't know who he is uh non-stop the other liam neeson movie the one on the plane um run all night which is a joel kinnaman uh thing and also has liam neeson <laughs> then you have the commuter you have the commuter also Liam Neeson. <laughs> now you have Jungle Cruise. Uh, you know the shadow, the shallows thrown in there as well. But yeah, he's just he's just out here making very adequate studio movies. Um, and I feel like this is kind of what this is. It's just a mismatch of things you've seen that are better in other movies. And you might think you might you won't hate this movie, but you're not gonna walk away with anything spectacular about it either. So that's how. Yeah, I at a certain point, because uh, I mean the the riff that it's doing like riffing off of the mummy, which itself is riffing off of Indiana Jones is really obvious from the get go. And then at a certain point (laughs) it just picks up the plot of one of the pirates of the Caribbean movies and just follows that like beat for beat. And I was like, Oh Oh, yeah. Basically it's what's, it's basically the one where they go to the fountain fountain of youth pretty much. Right. Uh, no, that's not the one I was thinking of. Uh, All those movies. I I don't want to say it because, uh, it'd be, it'd be a pretty big spoiler. Uh, it's uh, Brian, uh, Brennan will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crying over here. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I do want to talk about, um, Jack Whitehall's character who is like Disney's 10th first gay character, um, uh, which every criticism with all the other Disney gay characters is equally valid here. Um, like they don't really do anything with it. Um, but, I do think this is the first Disney movie to really at least attempt to conceptual or to contextualize it. 
So there is like one of the few like sitting and talking and feeling scenes in the movie is a scene between his character and the rock where he's basically talking about like, Hey, here's why we're out in the middle of the jungle. Uh, my family tried to get rid of me because I was gay. And then the rock like makes some like one liner comment and then they never address it ever again. Uh, so in the end that scene still falls flat within the greater context of the movie. But I do like that. There's at least a minimal and, and if you can see, I'm holding my fingers as close together as I can <laughs> without touching. It's at least just like a minimal more effort to to add some depth to it, even if it never really pans out. Yeah, they. I guess they tried. I was gonna say they tried. Period. But I'm gonna go. They tried. Question mark. They tried <laughs> to try. <laughs> they really did. Yeah, it's and his character is still the like when they go on the the boat. He has to bring his 50 bags because, you know, he can't go without his golf clubs and his all his clothes and everything. And they're going for that as well. So it's the, they still kind of fall back on some of those stock gay character tropes that aren't ideal. But I don't know. <laughs> it's it's better. It's not as horrible as the um, what's the, the Star Wars movie? The Rise of Skywalker. I didn't remember it. See, <laughs> we don't speak go. its name. <laughs> So uh, it's he's fine. He's kind of the third wheel of the entire movie as well. But yeah, I just everything in this movie, I just kind of I greet with a shrug, you know, because <laughs> they they're definitely trying things, and um, there's a bunch of running jokes for this movie that just do not work. The, the, the Rock calls Emily Blunt pants like 150 times. Because I think it's, it's as a one-off joke where they're like, oh my gosh, this woman's wearing pants. Isn't that crazy? It's like, it's like, a, okay, you, you made a joke, I guess. But then they, not only do they triple down on it, they like, I don't even know. They just keep going and going. That's all they call each other. That's all he, she, he calls them the entire movie. And it's so annoying <laughs> after a while. Like this, this movie is very much like a one-trick pony in a lot of ways where it keeps trying to do the exact same thing and the same joke many, many times. So, yeah, it's just, I feel like for Disney, one of the best things that happened to them was the success of the first Pirates of the Caribbean, because I guess for them it was a really successful franchise, but they've been trying to catch that high ever since, you know, or even like, even something like any of their other bad franchise potential starting movies, they've always tried to capture that same spirit as that first movie, and it's just... It's not going to happen. You know, it's just that movie was kind of just lightning in a bottle and fun. And it's just Jungle Cruise ain't it. And when you're looking at very clear CGI backgrounds the entire time, like they're all just slightly out of focus and blurry as The Rock and Emily Blunt talk, you know, you're just not going to, you're not going to get immersed in the world totally. But um, I don't know. Yeah. Those first couple of Pirates movies are some of the best looking blockbusters still. Yeah, because they're all practical and they're all just. It's insane. I mean, it's also Gore Verbinski just, like, going off, you know? Mm. He's just a very, very crazy filmmaker who just goes off and makes Secure for Wellness. It's three hours long. It's a bizarre movie. Even so, uh, yeah. even Davy Jones in the, in the second in Dead Man's Chest there. Even the third film he's in. He looks great. Like, yeah. a lot better than some of the over-CGI stuff we see today. Plus, yeah, this was... Sorry, go ahead. Plus, you just have that pirate score just... Oh, yeah. Blaring in the background, like, just phenomenal. phenomenal. Oh, that's the other thing about this movie. So, the beginning of this movie broke my brain a little bit. Because they go in, it's like, 
trailers end to this movie. I'm in the theater. And then you start to hear Nothing Else Matters by Metallica (laughs) starting this movie. And it's like that's playing over, you know, like the Disney logo, the big Walt Disney pictures. And it's just Metallica just blaring over Jungle Cruise. And and I'm just sitting there just thinking, what the hell is happening here? (laughs) Because it's clearly this was a very made by committee movie, right? You're not going to, you're not going to have anything else otherwise at Disney. Um, it's just so weird. So like a hundred executives had to say, that was a great idea. Let's put nothing else matters by Metallica in our family friendly jungle cruise movie. Um, it was just, it was very strange. I did not, <laughs> I think immediately I was, the movie uh, upset me. So I, I was kind of in a weird mood for the rest of the time. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that that is the Jungle Cruise. <laughs> I will say, though, <laughs> it's hard for me, as much as I sound down in this movie, it's hard for me to get mad at a movie where Paul Giamatti is hamming, hamming it up as a character named Nilo with a parrot on his shoulder. And also Jesse Plemons with the most cartoonish German accent you've heard in years. So just Jesse Plemons with the most cartoonish accent talking to bees is just <laughs> one of the highlights of the movie. Honestly, I just want a movie about him. It's just Jesse Plemons just continues to be the best. We don't we don't deserve him. One of the best comedic actors we have. Uh so yeah, Jungle Cruise. Um I think it'll keep making money. Um it, at least it'll uh yeah, you know, it'll probably be very top heavy like a lot of these pandemic releases we've seen. Yeah, it's uh, it needs it, it needs strong. the China opening. It needs yeah. some China money. It was a pretty <laughs> sweet, sweet China movie. money. <laughs> yeah, that, that they're in a blackout. I don't know when they're going to play Hollywood movies again. They're uh, every July they do a blackout month just to play play Chinese movies. But uh, generally, once the blackout ends, they just throw these movies out right away with like no heads up. So I mean, we could even see as early as next week Jungle Cruise drop. But that's the type of movie that would like probably do big business there. I think uh, Rampage made a hundred and fifty million in China skyscraper made a hundred million in china they need that they need that money there before uh before it's too late yeah before the rock sues them too (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so since we just talked about a movie that uh nick and i saw but Brennan didn't let's uh turn the tables go to a movie that Brennan saw but nick and i didn't uh so (laughs) Brennan, take us through stillwater stillwater um you know this is a film that Five minute ovation at can, right? Like that's a big deal. However, I felt like this year more than others, every single movie got an ovation at Cannes Film Festival. I feel like that no movie went without getting at least a five minute ovation. <laughs> like at, um, at one point it's like didn't Annette get the twenty minute standing ovation or something like that? It was like fifteen minutes. It was it was it was up there. Yeah. So at, at that point it's it like what are there. we doing? After minute three, I would be I'd be think I'd sit down. I don't care if the rest of the theater is still hanging out. I would sit down. <laughs> um, but so this movie got a five minute and it's Tom McCarthy's, I, I think it's his first movie since his best picture winning spotlight. I'm not sure if he's done anything since then. He may have. Um, personally, I'm not oh, sure. I see. He did um, Timmy failure. The movie that Colin <laughs> and I always joke about that is apparently pretty good. <laughs> Okay, so there you go. He's done. He did something in between there, but yeah. So he's he's a guy who's. I mean, he's no stranger, right? This is a movie that also caused controversy um, this weekend. We'll go into that in a second here, but 
kind of uh, a movie just about a uh, Midwestern or American, uh, they say here in the uh, description, a roughneck. That's what they call him, Matt Damon. Uh, he just pretty much goes to uh, France there as his daughter is in uh, in prison. Uh, she claims wrongly convicted for something, and Matt Damon just kind of goes there and uh, tries to connect with his daughter, tries to just connect with people. He seems to be quite a downer, and he's clearly had a rough life, as you kind of learn throughout the film, and he just just tries to find ways to fight for his daughter here. Um, it's an alright movie. I mean, it's it's two hours and 20 minutes, uh, a little over two hours and 20 minutes, and you feel it a little bit. I was kind of enjoying this thing until the third act, um, when a couple of things happened that I won't say, but it really uh, made me a little shocked. <laughs> it, Does it's the nothing water too... become still? The water does become still, yeah. It's <laughs> it's nothing too crazy, but it's it kind of went off the rails for a movie that felt so grounded. So I won't say too much more, but if you ever watch Still Water, you'll know what I mean. Uh, Matt Damon's pretty good in this, but it, it's 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 a movie that I thought had some sweet moments here and there. Uh, but yeah, the the controversy comes from Amanda Knox, who has spoken out about this movie. Um, I, I'm not sure why uh, the connection is kind of being talked about here. I think. One critic or something connected uh, the Amanda Knox story to this, and then every article just blew up talking about that, something like that. And now she uh, went on Twitter. Uh, she released a big thread going after the makers of this movie, which is obviously Tom McCarthy, Matt Damon, Focus Feature. She's going after them, talking about her or talking about how they're profiting off her um, off her story there. I didn't read too much of what she was criticizing um, criticizing them for. I think a lot of it is that, you know, it, it is a lot of real-life trauma, but it's it's an interesting story here, and I think it just adds to how insane this week has been. Yeah, so is the movie good? Where do you ultimately come down on it? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's not bad. I think Matt Damon's good. There's some sweet moments here and there, but it's just a movie that, at times, uh, it's hard to root for the lead. And I think you see that as as I talked about uh, the third act. It's just some things happen that you don't you, you don't think really fit in a movie like this. Uh, it does feel like a grounded prestige awards movie for a lot of it. Um, I wouldn't call it Oscar bait, but uh, it, it it did kind of feel that way. Then the third act, something happens, is kind of out of a Liam Neeson movie, <laughs> and you're just like, oh. Now I'm interested. I, I'm surprised that happened. No, it's, it's nothing too crazy, but it just kind of took me out of it a little. Um, and even then, just that two-hour, 20-minute runtime, and it feels like it ends a couple different times, but it just keeps going. Also, not enough uh, Abigail Breslin, which is kind of upsetting. Um, however, there is one... It's hard to talk about this because I feel like no one in the world has seen this movie. <laughs> I think I was the first person... Uh, I went into my letterbox, and no one else had rated it. So I was like... <laughs> Oh, I mean, I did see it the first night, but it is it is a sign there. So there was one little storyline there, Matt Damon. Uh, so as I said, he goes to Europe. He's trying to fight for his uh, daughter who's in prison. Uh, and he stays with a French woman and her daughter, um, and he lives at their place. And there is a really great child actress in this movie. Her and Matt Damon are really, uh, they have some really good scenes together. And I think the movie's... Um, where the movie shines the most is the kind of faux father-daughter relationship between those two because you have Matt Damon who feels like he's never been a good dad to Abigail Breslin, his daughter, and then he kind of gets to try to 
make up for that with this girl who um, her her father's absent. And I think that's when the movie shines the most. Um, but for the most part, you know, it's it is a little bit of a miss. But it's not a bad film. I'd I'd recommend checking it out uh, at matinee price. I think I'm. I I always like a Matt Damon movie because I feel like in terms of the stars we have, I think he makes the most interesting choices to me, and then he'll just pop up as a cameo and something, and it'll be amazing. And like, oh, Matt Damon's in this movie. This is great. Um, and I've always respected um, kind of the choices he makes. Uh, he definitely doesn't always win. Uh, I'll, divert your attention your attention to suburbicon from 2017 <laughs> very uh very terrible movie um but i think he's always out she's out trying things and um willing to kind of he's not a chameleon as an actor but he is he is he's not like your tom cruise he's not tom cruise and everything right he's he's playing characters even within his movie star persona as well so um I have been fascinated by this movie. I wanted to check it out, but I just, I just good. like Matt Damon. I think yeah, Matt really Damon is good in this. He is good, and I won't take anything away from there. So he does give a good performance. I'm going to go to a regular afternoon showing for this movie and just give it a five-minute standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be amazing. i got to say, the people in the theater I was with, they seemed to be enjoying it. I saw people around smiling, laughing. They were enjoying it. So it seemed like uh, the audience liked it. Hmm. Well, there you go. That's it's for the fans. That's all you can hope for. <laughs> uh, so then, uh, kind of next on the docket is Nine Days, uh, which is a movie starring uh, the great Winston Duke. And so this is um, a movie about the afterlife. Uh, well, technically the before life. Um, so it's but also afterlife, kind of. Yeah. Ish. It's sort it's of. about the the out, outer life. We'll call it that. <laughs> uh, I feel like it's very easy to just like, oh, this is like Soul, but live action. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a very different movie, but kind of the same premise. Um, basically, Winston Duke is interviewing souls um, before they can get. So he can he picks one of them uh, that's going to get to live a life on Earth and enjoy the uh, neither before nor the afterlife, the just the regular life. <laughs> um, but uh so this this was a pretty good movie i liked it um it gives you know, there, there's a lot to think about with it but i i don't know if it really is kind of like the green knight uh where it's you know it's something that days later i'm i'm still chewing on um i feel like nine days it does say a lot of interesting things but i don't know if any of them are really crazy or hard to swallow if that makes sense yeah this so this was one that premiered i think last year at sundance i think it made its north american premiere and it's kind of had crazy buzz from a lot of people since where people have been valorizing it and saying this movie is unbelievable and it's really kind of struck a chord with some people and i can certainly see why because i think kind of to continue the soul comparison where it is trying to do this um like this existential what is the purpose of life or what what is what what is like if when we can see nothing but just awful things happening in the world what what is worth living um 
like what is what like all this different stuff and it's i think it's really like you said Colin, i think it's really trying to be very profound in what it's talking about and i think sometimes i was i was really i was really rooting for it you know i really this is the kind of movie that um i i root to like because it's it's kind of wearing its emotions on its sleeve very strongly um, has a few really really good performances and I think those are my favorite parts parts of it um, but kind of like you I don't think it quite gets there with what it's doing I think it's it's passing off pretty familiar and not necessarily obvious but not layered um, ideas and it's trying to pass those off as these profound messages on the meaning of the life and connection and um, but yeah it's it's kind of, I think it's really interesting, but it's, yeah, I think I'm in the kind of the same boat as you, Colin, where I'm not totally in love with it. Yeah, I, I really like the way they approach, uh, so Winston Duke's character is Will, like the way they approach his job. And I think that's really interesting, the way it, it builds the world. Because um, he's, you know, he's, he's not given kind of that omnipotence you normally see with um, these kind of afterlife or before life figures. Um, so I, I do think it humanizes him really well um, within that context. And it's cool to see him uh, be surprised and kind of moved by the stuff he's watching on his 30 TVs every day. Um, so I, I do like a lot of the ways that they build that world around it, um, especially with how small of a scale this movie is overall. Um, so I like the world building. Uh, kind of like you said, I really like the performances in this movie as well. But it just didn't, you know, strike me as, oh, this is one of the, the best things I've seen all year. Uh, but it was a really, a really good and a really enjoyable movie. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I think I'm more in the boat there with Nick. How, you know, I really wanted to like it more, and I just don't think it ever kind of hit me like it has a lot of people. It seems like a lot of people are having quite a strong reaction to this, um, which is cool. Uh, I thought there were some stronger parts of this movie where where it kind of shined. Uh, I love the ending. Uh, there's a great great little end to this film and it kind of left me uh it left me with some chills there but then the rest of the movie it just didn't didn't have me as much as i wanted it to i think uh early on the way everything's set up i think was great you have all the uh i guess we call them souls right they come in and um winston duke kind of sets the scene i think that part was really good i think the setup's pretty good but i think this movie could have uh it could have messed with me a little bit more if i'm being honest i think there's one good conversation at uh the dinner table with um scarsgard and um who else do we have at the dinner table there zazzy beats is there zazzy too, beats, right? yeah yeah um yeah zazzy beats and scarsgard yeah they have a great conversation there and i think that's what i want to see more from this movie but it just didn't give that to me i think that one scene there in particular kind of stood out from what I was kind of wanting to get out of, get out of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not bad. And Winston Duke, he's, he's pretty good in this. Uh, certainly one of, one of the better talents out there right now. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I do, I, I was fascinated initially because right. He's this guy who's trying to, he's basically, he's not a mentor to all these souls, but he's basically, he's this middle management guy is what he basically builds himself as in this, other world, other other life, outside of life world <laughs> that we're in here. He's this just this guy who's he's almost he's almost like a pencil pusher, you know. He's okay, like he's checking off all the boxes and saying uh, this soul deserves to live, this doesn't. 
Uh, I thought that was a very interesting idea. And I was really curious. I think this movie definitely hooked me immediately because I think you have that and the production design, kind of what you mentioned before, is really interesting because it's just this house in the middle of the desert. It reminded me of the end of The Master where they're uh, riding their motorcycle but just like through the desert. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if they, if they filmed in the exact same locations. Um, but yeah, and like these souls just kind of pop up out of nowhere, out of this never-ending landscape and have these conversations with Winston Duke. And I was really hoping that this movie would interrogate its central premise because... The weird thing I thought about this was where you have just some guy who's basically, uh, he's, he's the deciding factor in whether or not these souls get to move on and live or they just disappear for forever. Um, and there you find out more about the Winston Duke character later on as we go to the third act. Uh, but I thought it was very odd in this movie that is very um, interested in kind of spreading this message of overall kindness and acceptance for all the walks of life and all the ways people see the world. I thought it was very odd how this movie never once questions if this middle management kind of style of choosing souls is a good idea or not. The, like every, the, the entire movie goes along with, oh yeah, this is a good idea, you know? When someone in the real world dies and one, one of these souls takes their place. But I thought it was very weird how this movie, it never even grapples with the idea of saying, you know, why don't all of these souls get the chance to live? Because you never really get anything with any of these souls where it's like, oh yeah, this person doesn't get deserved to live or something like that. You know, like all these people are pretty pleasant. You know, to- uh, Toby Hale is in this movie. He's really, really good. Um, and uh, there's a few other really good performances. There's one soul in particular, um, I forget the actor's name, but he's terrific. Uh, but you never you never quite get a sense of why they're choosing these and why they're choosing these souls and why these souls aren't being picked. Um, so that was kind of odd to me. I just I wanted a little more there. I felt like it was trying. There wasn't enough explanation there. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. felt it was against the themes of the movie. Tony Hale's good in here too. Gotta say. Yeah, yeah. Tony Hale was really good. Yeah, he might have been my favorite part. Oh, well, Winston Duke, I think, is my favorite. I think we can all agree there. But uh, yeah, Tony Hale's really, really, really terrific in this movie. That's my forky. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's one of those where I think I really wanted to cry at this movie. And I think a lot of people did uh, with it. So that's good for them. I think this is, it's kind of one of those where I think a lot of people can feel hope, you know, and maybe I'm just a cynical asshole. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> I really wanted to like this movie and I thought it was, and it ended up just being okay. You know, I think I'd, I'd much prefer some other, maybe even Soul as well. But um, yeah, it's going for a lot of interesting things. I encourage people to check it out as it rolls out in more theaters. But it didn't didn't quite do it. It wasn't quite there for me. Yeah. Um. So with that being said, let's move on to the big one. Uh, let's go back to Jungle Cruise. So. <laughs> uh no. So the Green Knight. Um, I think. I'm just going to speak for all of us in saying this was something that was pretty high on our uh, anticipation for the summer. We all walked into this with pretty high hopes. I think we're all going to walk out of it with pretty similar opinions. Um, the Green Knight slaps. I think we can all agree Dev Patel. Yes, we can agree. 
I love how this movie, because there's all the like the thirst trap stuff about how hot Dev Patel was in this movie, and it actually makes sense from the story. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, go ahead, Brennan. <laughs> what a picture! What a picture! <laughs> no, this is this is what I needed. I mean, I think it's been it's been a while since I've watched some good good cinema at the movie theaters, um, and I'm I'm just glad this this dropped in there here in late july early august it was just fantastic and i can't wait to go again because um it looked gorgeous it sounded gorgeous i got the score right away um it was just a lot of fun and i think it was pretty much what i was expecting uh like i i I don't i mean it was still mind-blowing but i did it 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 lived up to the hype for me for sure I'm, i'm pretty happy with it yeah yeah i love this movie this movie's great (laughs) i really i really like just how unique it is in terms of being an arthurian adaptation like this this is unlike any other arthurian adaptation in the sense that one it's not just like there to be a swashbuckling adventure but b it it has a lot on its mind um and it kind of tackles toxic masculinity in this um, really unique way um just taking you back to what year was King Arthur? Like 1100, 1200, something like sure. that. Sure. Sounds right. 800 <laughs> to, to one of the hundreds. Um, <laughs> and it just, it, it presents uh, the green knight um, just on a quest for honor, uh, which is, you know, ultimately what I think all of those tales are about in one way or another, but it's, it's much more this like big chivalrous, you know, go, go kill the bad guys. Cause the bad guys are just straight bad and I'm so good. Um, and the green knight has none of that. Um, so we have, we have a very flawed protagonist in, uh, Garwin, uh, which isn't spelled like you would think Garwin would be, uh, which (laughs) just completely blew my mind. (laughs) Um, but just, it's basically Dev Patel just having to like live with himself as he leaves the, the walls of King Arthur land. I forget what Camelot. Um and it goes <laughs> no, out. Into the I think English it's explicitly King Arthur Land King Ar- in the movie. <laughs> King Arthur Land. Uh, as as you can tell, I'm not a uh, Arthur expert. Um, <laughs> uh, but just like going in and just consistently like getting challenged by the fact that he's not this you know great uh, honorable knight that he kind of imagines himself as being. Um, and then of course the Green Knight, the the titular character, is just awesome. What a cool design. Just unbelievable. Ralph uh, Innocen needs to do voice work for every single movie. I feel like it's an amazing, um, like, just, I, I, it's like he should be used in every movie. He's so, he's so good. He's like, in, even in stuff like The Witch or is the best part of Gunpowder Milkshake, probably, <laughs> as just the villain. Um, he's just such a great figure in film. And I love that this movie utilizes him so interestingly. Um, I think you're right, Colin, where this is, it really does, I I don't want to say it flips the Arthurian legend on its head, because I feel like that's being used a lot uh, to describe this movie, but we'll get to Sword of the Valiant in a second. (laughs) We'll we'll share the differences there. The true Arthurian legend. (laughs) It's amazing how this movie, there really, is is there a bad guy? To this, I would I would say no in terms of like explicit like explicitly in the plot. Maybe there's there's 
there's ideas at play, and you can certainly read characters as very, very flawed or even awful in in terms of Dev Patel. But the Green Knight figure, he's just he is just a big thematic uh, Trojan horse. You know, he's there to express a whole ton of ideas, uh, and this movie does so so wonderfully. It's just this amazing like poetic look at fate and free will and morality and it's i love how ambiguous this movie is and i think for a lot of just general moviegoers that's probably going to be their biggest complaint where they're like yeah this movie doesn't make sense uh but there's such there's such amazing dream logic to the journey that Dev patel's character goes on and then when you when you get to the end you could read the ending of this movie so many different ways and i think that's so cool and the what that says kind of about the idea is that it's flinging at me this entire time. It's just, it's just like you said, what a picture. It's so great. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. I, I uh, can't wait to go again though. Uh, I don't want to talk about any spoiler moments, but I love the, uh, the last third of this film. Yeah. I really like the way this movie tackles, like just our interpretation of all the Arthurian tales and like, Oh, of course all these guys are legends, but, what do they actually do? And there's like a scene very early in uh, in the movie where uh, Garwin's like, yeah, I can't wait to be a knight. Like, it's got to happen today. And then he gets up there and King Arthur's like, so tell me about the interesting things you've done. And he's like, well. <laughs> he just sits there. <laughs> and yeah, like really examining like, what does it mean to be a legend? Like, what is really honorable um, in this land that, you know, everything's just kind of shitty to begin with. Um, and there's lots of lots of sexual elements to the movie as well. Um, oh, there certainly is. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. It's a big one. <laughs> um, yeah, like what what a what a picture. I can't say it any better than Brennan. Uh, he just captured my thoughts on that movie. Just... <laughs> it truly is just like a fever dream of a movie because oh, yeah. you knew even the editing. Because at the beginning, there's some really interesting editing choices to what we're seeing where even when they're just at the at the round table and it's when when they cut from character to character they'll throw in a, like a it's not quite a dissolve but it's it's like a few seconds of a dissolve it's like a dreamy shift to another character it's really interesting and the first time it happened you're like well what is going on here but it really sets the tone for just this crazy dream logic journey that comes after that because if you try to like look at this plot and try to like pencil everything in and say this like a goes to b and b goes to c you're gonna your head's gonna start spinning right because it's that's kind of the point of it it's this crazy mythological story that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense for this main character um and along the way there's all this all these great cameos and all the ideas of temptation and lust and fate uh it's just it's it's just so painterly. Like every like every image looks amazing in this movie. Um, just David Lowry, what a guy! It's just it's just so impressive. There's just so much craft. The, every every level, the acting, directing, uh, just the production design, costume design. It's just all phenomenal. And it joins Die Hard, um, and uh, you know a handful of select non Christmas Christmas movies. Iron Man three. <laughs> it's it's a part of that club now. And so I'm gonna watch this on Christmas Day. Can't wait. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so so really, if you want to get the full experience, you have to watch the first 20 minutes on Christmas this year, 
and then the next hour and 40 Christmas next year. Just to really... <laughs> that would be a great experiment. I, you know someone's going to do that out there, right? Someone's got to do that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was that was a really good movie. And it's, you know, when I when I walked out of the theater, I was like, that was really good. And I hit it with a four star on Letterboxd. And then I got home and I was like, no, nah, it definitely deserves four and a half. And yeah. now I'm like, you know what? I think it might be five. So kind of like Brennan, like it's it's one of those movies that's really stuck with me over the weekend. And just like even as I saw Jungle Cruise right after it, like I was still thinking about the Green Knight while The Rock was like rocking. <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah. It was an immediate five star for me. I was just I jumped on the bandwagon immediately. It's so great. There's just so many interesting interpretations to this this movie. And it's kind of one of those where you can't quite talk about the particulars of this movie without uh, spoiling a lot of it because that's kind of it's all wrapped up in how you view this movie, right? Um, but man, it's just I'm really happy. There's one thing with the marketing of this movie. I'm so happy that they did not really include a lot of Alicia Vikander because that's kind of the movie, you know, like so much yeah. of what the movie is going after is locked in that, in that character. Well, I guess, well, well I'll leave it there. Um, but she's, I'm just so happy. Like she was like in one frame of both trailers that like, Oh yeah, she's in this movie. You'll figure it out when you see it. Uh, but she, like her, her performance, she's just amazing in this movie. I, I always love her, but I just thought she was just so great in this. Just the whole cast is awesome. Just Sean Harris, even for like the two days he was on set for this movie, just, <laughs> just really just top notch. It's just kind of one of those movies that blows you back, in, in my perspective. It's just everything. I couldn't pick out anything wrong with it. I uh, I got really excited when I saw Excalibur for the first time, though. I was like, "Hey, oh. that sword's famous." <laughs> they play the moment so well too, right? Because like the score swells a little bit, like. Because and they don't even I don't even think they mention like they don't say Excalibur right no like he just, he just gives it just gives hands the sword, the sword. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so funny they because the movie knows that we know that sword is Excalibur and how important it is and it plays the moment so well where he like Dev Patel's like looking at it in awe and all the all the knights are like oh my gosh he's holding Excalibur this is crazy <laughs> what's happening here and it's really. Even though it's this very slow moving kind of um, like depressing movie, it kind of does. It takes the moment to like like be in awe of what's going on. Like even like the, you've seen the trailer when the giants show up, it takes a moment to be like, "Wow, this is really cool. What this is, or this is amazing." So I really appreciate that, and it's also kind of funny. This movie, yeah, <laughs> really funny in moments. Uh, I mean, the the last line of the movie. I was laughing, cackling in the theater. I thought it was great. And you can read it many different ways, but um, there's a lot of humor baked into how that line is delivered. Um, and there's just certain there's just certain characters that pop up that are just really going for it, like Joel Edgerton. Like he's just he's just on one for the ten minutes he's in this movie. <laughs> so uh, there's it's just it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of different stuff and it all comes together. And it's also very weird. So that's kind of my shit too. <laughs> Yeah, I I think universally we stand the Green Knight. Um, no, oh, yeah. no surprises here. <laughs> very, very much so. <laughs> um, so that uh ties directly into our next segment. Uh, so for this week's movie level club and my uh eternal quest of every Sean Connery movie, uh, the stars aligned. <laughs> so Sir Sean uh, actually brought the Green Knight himself to life in 1984. 
uh, with Sword of the Valiant, the legend of Sir Garwin and the Green Knight, even though it's spelled Gawain. And I don't think they ever actually pronounce it. In, like, I don't think anybody actually says his name in this movie. <laughs> I don't think so either. I think you're right. That's, um, that's hilarious. So uh, this is a movie. Um, it feels <laughs> like a made-for-TV movie from the 1980s. And so the uh, I know Nick and I both watched this on Pluto. Uh, so I did a little digging, and the cut that we saw isn't actually the original. Uh, the original doesn't exist right now. Uh, so this is a this is a rescan in a, the four by three ratio because for some reason when the DVD came out, they're like, "What if we take out the cinema scope and make it look like it should be on a box TV?" Um, so I think a lot of the like kind of weird scans in the movie come from that. Um, version of the movie i don't think it really would have changed the quality at all but that's for sure this, <laughs> that is part of it uh so yeah this is definitely the inferior interpretation of the green knight um i really enjoy sean connery's first scene as the green knight because he just kind of strolls in um uh, he just steals the show in the court like everybody's looking at him he's throwing his axe all over like he's basically doing like a baton twirl with it um uh, he's like <laughs> delivering his challenge and just he's got a he's got just like bright green sparkles all over his face <laughs> and then the rest of the movie is just a steady downward slope until the credits finally roll the everything you need to know about this movie is in the first like 15 minutes in that first scene it's the best part of the movie and then the rest yeah, like you said it's just so boring and you're just with <laughs> guy who looks slightly like um What's his face from uh, all that one eighties movie? What, what he am I man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious that you picked up on that for my non-answer <laughs> there. But uh, yeah, like it's so funny when you look at you just just compare the way Sean Connery looks in this movie to what Ralph Ineson looks like in the Green Knight. Just like <laughs> the character designs, it is so funny. Because like you said, like Sean Connery just has green glitter on his face and he has like this fake flowing hair. Um, he has like fake leaves like all over his chest and he has like his like his chest is popping out and he just looks so goofy. He looks like a cartoon character and it's so <laughs> funny. And the, just everything about this movie, like you said, it looks like they made it for a TV movie because it is so cheap and like everything is plastic. The, the like the axe looks like it was made like five seconds ago <laughs> out of like PVC pipe and like spray painted to look like an axe. Um, all of, like the armor this looks so flimsy and goofy. It is. Um, it reminds me of something that would be like on Red Litter Media's Best of the Worst. It's just a very <laughs> like not. It's not. It's not a good movie. Uh, but it's it's definitely a really interesting artifact of the time. Yeah, and I think it's interesting the cast involved in this. So first off, uh, the director wanted Mark Hamill for Garwin. <laughs> and this would have been like right off the heels of return of the Jedi, Mark Hamill. So this would have been like pretty big. Um, but even for like Connery. So this was the year that Connery came back as bond for the second last time and got his biggest payday. So this was like prime Connery at the time. Um, Peter Cushing was also still coasting that Star Wars high at the time. And so were uh, Ronald Lacey and John Rice Davies had just come off of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, you have a <laughs> lot of people in the prime of their career. 
Um, and this is the movie that they, they put together and it looks like something you'd see on PBS. <laughs> it's so true. Cause it's, it's, it's distributed by Canon, the very infamous Canon, uh, film group who just, they, they're like responsible for all of your, like your Chuck Norris, just goofy, low budget movies. Um, just, uh, there's just no budget in this movie at all. This was totally an instance where they sold the rights overseas to like people, and then that was they used that money to make the movie as cheaply as possible. And this is what it, this is what this movie ended up being. Like they don't even make a big deal of all these stars in the movie either, because Peter Cushing no. <laughs> shows up, you know. <laughs> then he lays down in like the climactic battle, like he's just like like chilling, just like watching them like do whatever. It's so. It's like the lowest possible, like there's just no energy in this movie at all. It's so funny to watch them kind of do the least possible at every moment. <laughs> what a cast though. What a cast. Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of talent. Like there are a lot of interesting people. Like I think uh, John Rice Davies breathes a lot of life into it just because he's this very big, very loud persona. Uh, I mean, I couldn't care about his character any less, but like just having him in that role breathes <laughs> just a little bit more life into this movie and you're like, okay, I can, I can make it the next 30 minutes. Everyone is interesting except the main character of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Played by Miles O'Keefe, uh, who, um, who was, he was in a lot of eighties movies as, um, big, strong cut hero man who will save the day with his masculinity. Um, and that's kind of what he's, he's in this movie too, where it is so funny kind of what we were mentioning, like, oh, like, all this dark and twisted, uh, like, thematic, like, depth in The Green Knight, and you look at this, and it's literally just He-Man, like, like waving a sword around to save the day from a girl that he just met but fell in love with. Um, that's just all that happens in this movie, and it's such a, it's so funny to see how, like, how just a nothing of a movie this is, and it comes from the same source material. It is so, it is so funny. Yeah. And the director of this movie, Stephen Weeks, directed five and a half movies. And two of them were based on The Legend of the Green Knight. So he did one in 1973 <laughs> and had minimal critical acclaim and box office returns. And then 10 years later, he was like, all right, take two. Um, and then this was <laughs> his last movie because the, the half movie he directed after this ran out of money halfway through and was completely abandoned. Is that the sequel to Fellini's Eight and a Half? <laughs> it is uh, the Bengal Lancers with an exclamation point. Yikes, that's uh, that's tough. Can you imagine putting so much like like years of your life into making this adaptation work? And this was this was the re this was the redo, and it's a uh, it's nothing. <laughs> this was this was take two, and yeah, just just a baffling movie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's fun for... I was enjoying myself for the first 30 minutes because you have the whole 15-minute open with Connery and he's hamming it up and having a great time. And right before he shows up on screen, I forget who plays the king, uh, King Arthur in this movie, but like they're at their big banquet. One of the, one of the soldiers starts eating and he just picks up a piece of bread and just th chucks it at him. And I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Um, and then Connery shows up and you're like, oh, this is fun. And then, um, He-Man goes out into the, the forest and there's like delightfully like low budget stuff and the sword fights are so terrible. Um, it's just like this really like far back 
flat wide shot and you could just see all the actors struggling to flail around their uh, Halloween uh, store props. Um, and then that's the rest of the movie as well. So it gets very, very tiring after that. But there's like a, there's like a certain immediate charm to what's going on here. Um, it's just, it's, they just, they just don't make them like they used to, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just a very bizarre little, little thing that exists. Listen, it is 37 years later and we're still talking about it. So <laughs> they did something right. <laughs> <laughs> Criterion release coming next week. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was that was a wild week uh, between all the controversy, all the all the Dev Patel, and uh, all the other Disney stuff going on. Um, so it'll be next week is the Suicide Squad, which uh, looks just insane. I'm I'm ready for it. Um, like Brennan, I might try and catch Green Knight again just to just to give my fix. Um, but yeah, that that has been this week at the at the movies. So uh, remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabble.com, and we'll be back next week talking about movies. Mm-hmm.